So the title of my message is The Union and the Temple. Let me uh, start uh, with a, a story. Uh, so once upon a time, there was a popular queen. And so she was interviewing uh, some of her subjects to serve on this you know, four-man team uh, to carry her on the sedan chair. Right? They would just carry it right, on the sedan chair. So she would ask the people, those people, so if you were going to bear me along a mountain path, how close are you willing to go to the edge of the cliff? So some of the guys said, um, I think, Queen, I can get to up to like a foot from the edge of the cliff. And some other guys with chest thumping said, whoa, my Queen, you see the gun here? I can carry you even within the inches of the, the edge of the cliff. That's how strong I am. And still others said, my queen, I would never go anywhere close to the edge. Guess who got the job? Of course, it is the last group of people who said, I will not dare go anywhere near the edge of the cliff. And it illustrates how some, many people view sexual temptations and sexual immorality. A lot of people think, you know, I may be close, but as long as I do not cross the line, then I should be fine because I'm not really committing the sin, right? I may be tempted, but as I can get close to it, but as long as I don't cross the line, whatever that means, then I'm fine. I'm not guilty. We live in a sex-crazed world and a culture, and the statistics are not so encouraging for even, even for Christians. Statistics show that the majority of Christians, uh, Christian couples, um, have engaged in premarital sex. And, uh, you know, so for those of you guys who are in a relationship, you know, watch out, right? Do not play with fire because you have a dynamite in your hands. Um, so now, after giving instructions on dealing with lawsuits, among the fellow Christians in the church in emphasizing the authority and the identity that we have in Christ. Paul circles back to the topic of sexual immorality, which was a really big issue, as we have discussed before. And, you know, what is really emphasizing, even in this, uh, in this section, is who we are in Christ, what Christ has accomplished for us. You see, the overarching theme in this section is our identity through Christ. You know, as we have seen in, uh, in chapter uh, 6, you know, uh, verse two, you know, it says, verse 2 says, Don't you know that saints will judge the world? Do you guys not know that? You are the church. You are a child of God. Don't you know that you will judge the world? as a co-heirs with Christ. Verse 3, don't you know that we, are, we will judge the angels? Verse 9, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, but we will? That's who you are. See, these don't you know questions are meant to state the truth emphatically. Do you not know, people? This is who you are in Christ. And he continues to pose this 
don't you know questions here to lay the theological framework for us to understand the core issue of the sexual ethics, sexual immorality. It is not just, oh, it's really bad people. It is sin. Of course it is. So don't do it. And simply just giving people or just uh, having this negative reinforcement, which is true. But it goes beyond that. Paul is really talking. So, uh, you know, Paul is really just telling us that we have to have more foundational and comprehensive theological understanding of why. Why we should flee the sexual immorality that is so readily available all around us. And it is really about our identity in Christ and the holiness of God. And that's what it's about. Guys, we simply cannot separate the inadequate doctrine and ungodly life. And that's what we have seen so far in the Corinthian church. Their understanding of what the church is and who they are in Christ was really sorely lacking in the church. And because of that, it led to ungodly lifestyle. Deficient theology leads to deficient life. I mean, look at the example of prosperity gospel. It's basically a contract between you and God. If you give God, you know, just some money and just do all these things, then God will bless you. Give money to, the, you know, to this organization or this televangelist, whatever else. And God will bless you richly in this world. It's a contract. And how that, has, that kind of theology has ruined many people's lives and have really uh, damaged the church, the deficient theology. When we do not have a proper understanding of what God teaches and what God's will is for us, it only, it's only natural for those people uh, having the deficient theology that that will lead to ungodly, unrighteous life. So Paul wants to really just set the record straight. So when it comes to sexual immorality, it's not just saying, don't do it because it's bad. So the first point that he's pointing out is the, our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. That's the first point. Do you guys know what was really at the very center of Paul's understanding of, Christ, uh, of Christianity? Do you know what was the most foundational truth of Christian tenet, according to Paul? It wasn't predestination or baptism or even justification by faith, right? All these are all great truths, but to Paul, what was really central to his understanding of whole, the whole Christianity was his understanding of our union with Christ, us being united with him. Galatians 2.20, you know, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live for the Son of God, right, who loved me and gave himself for me. That is really the central understanding. You know, the most often used phrases, a phrase that Paul used in his letters, in his writings, is in Christ, with Christ, through Christ, those are the, it's not anything else, right? But in Christ, with Christ, through Christ. 
And all this all conveys his understanding of our union with Christ. We are united with Christ. The moment that we put our trust in Christ and we surrender our lives to him, that we are united with him. It is absolutely the core of his faith that we are one with him. You know, during this, at that time, you know, there were two extreme and unhealthy views concerning the physical body in the Corinthian church. Because they were exposed to the Greek thought, some people really had contempt for the body because of all the sexual immoral things that were going on. So they had a really uh, had a, uh, disdain and contempt for the body. So even got to a point where they were denying that there is no resurrection, and we will get to that you know, in the later chapters, that they will even say there is no bodily resurrection. To them, body, this, our physical body, is lowly, it's sinful. So they regarded uh, sexual relationships as inherently sinful. The sex in and of, a, of itself is taboo. It's a, it's a no-no, right? Because it takes place through the body. I remember, and it, there is some extreme views like that, even today, right, in the church, there are people that get very uncomfortable uh, about this topic. They just roll their eyes and say, why are we talking about this? Or just, can we not talk about this? It makes us really uncomfortable. I remember that many, many years ago, I was a youth pastor, and uh, uh, I was uh, going through like a baptism and confirmation class and uh, with uh, these youth kids. And uh, one of the assignments was um, memorizing the Ten Commandments. So, you know, people just like, you know, just write down their you know, Ten Commandments. And then, so one of them, when it came to the part of do not commit adultery, this is what he wrote, do not, do not have sex. And that was his understanding. He thought that Ten Commandments basically said, you should not have sex. And I had to correct him, right? It's sex in and of itself. It's not wrong or sinful. They're like, <gasps> and they were just shocked that I would say that because it's something that God has given. It's a, it's a precious gift to us, but within the boundary of marriage. Anything outside of it, it is sinful. But sex in and of itself, it's not wrong or sinful. And that's how there was some other people in the Corinthian church, said, oh, that's a table. Don't even talk about it because, uh, you know, the intercourse, uh, intercourse takes place through the body. It's a body, and body is so dirty and sinful. We are so weak, so it is wrong. And a different group, influenced by the same false doctrine, took the opposite view. Since it, the body is so dirty and low, lowly and it's, it's despi- it should be despised, you know what? What you do with the body doesn't really matter. Even immoral sexual behavior, it's fine because body is already, we discard it. We are way above that, right? It's all about our spirit and our soul, right? Body, it's nothing. So whatever that you do with your body, because we despise the body, whatever you do with it, it doesn't matter. God doesn't really care. In verses 12 and 13, it says, all things are lawful for me. So there's that quote that comes in, all things are lawful for me. So Paul may be quoting sayings, likely common in Corinth, that were used by these people to excuse immoral behavior. Hey, you know, there's a good, just a widespread saying that says, all things are lawful for me. Hey, it's not against the law. 
So it's okay. We can do this. Because Roman law at the time permitted prostitution, and most people thought sex without marriage, we're talking about fornication, was okay as long as it did not control them. It's fine. Well, we, they, they wouldn't say this like, yeah, you, we, you, you would be applauded, but it's fine as long as you can control that. You can just go around and sleep around. So Paul is saying, yes, there may be no law, explicit law against prostitution and immorality in Corinth, but that does, and he's saying that does not mean that it has no consequences, especially in a spiritual life, our relationship with Christ. That's why he says, not all things are helpful and I will not be dominated by anything. Paul's point here is that you Corinthians have perverted the sayings to justify your immoral behavior. Just because it's permissible does not mean that such freedom of action would benefit you because you will be enslaved by those actions that you, will, you freely indulge in. It's an irony. You say, oh, I'm free to do this because there's no law against it. So I'm free to do it. What's wrong with it? I can do whatever I want. It's permissible. And yet, Paul is saying, guess what? When you engage in these immoral behaviors, you will be mastered. You'll be basically addicted. Why is a pornography addiction so powerful? Oh, yeah, you know, people can say, oh, I can stop it any time. Yeah? Then why don't you? The re reason is because you cannot control it. Why is there uh, alcohol, you know, it's just the addictions, porn, pornography, or alcohols and things? They are mastered by these things. Just because it's permissible doesn't mean that it is free and that you are free from it. And in verse 13, you know, uh, it says the food is meant for the, the stomach and the, the stomach for food. You know, some people were claiming that as the physical acts of eating and digesting food have no bearing on your inner spiritual life. So people were saying the, phys so the physical act of prom uh, promiscuity does not affect your spiritual life. And that's what they were saying. It has no bearing. In your, it's something that you do in your body, but it doesn't affect your spiritual life. And Paul is dispelling the wrong theology here. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, in the second half, it says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but, the for, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. And here Paul, against all this disdain and contempt for the physical body, Paul is declaring the dignity of the human body. That our physical body that we have is dignified. It's dignified. It's something that's precious. He tells us the noble purpose of our body. It is not to be uh, discarded or uh, brushed aside because it is intended for the Lord. What you do with your body is very important. And this is particularly true in the area of sex, which the Lord has ordained in wedlock for the good of the humanity. And then he goes on to say, in the, uh, and then there is a, in verse 14, it says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So this reference to resurrection is kind of, it seems out of place. It's unexpected here because we are talking about 
you know, why bring up resurrection when we are talking about sexual immorality? Paul does this to illustrate God's high regard for the body, the physical body. The resurrection of Christ's body and eventually our body. That's how God takes it. If God thought that our body wasn't that important when there was a resurrection, it was simply our floating spirit somewhere and we would just go up there to be with the Lord. And yet, because God really thinks highly of our physical body, when there is resurrection, we will, there, uh, our physical bo- the body will also resurrect. A body desi- uh, destined for resurrection should not be used for immorality. And that is the argument that Paul is making. You know, the whole person consists of spirit and body. And this gives dignity to the human body. When uh, we will be resurrected, it will be a, a bodily resurrection, not just our spirit. We will be with God in our bodily form. Of course, the, the, it will be an imperishable uh, body, unlike the, the, the perishable body that we have. As we age, you know, our body breaks down. And definitely part of it is because of our sin. But when we get there, the physical body that we have with different material. But the truth is, when we are with God forever, for all eternity, we will be in our body. Some people think that when we go in there, we kind of think of this like some kind of ghost-looking thing without any form. But no, we have a bodily form that we will retain for all eternity because God considers our body part of our whole person. It's not just our spirit, but our body is important. And he goes on to say in verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Preposterous, right? That is just unthinkable. Our, so th- this is, uh, he's really just uh, driving it, you know, home, driving it home. It's just that we are the union, our union with Christ, because we are united with Christ. And it's not just our spirit that is united with him, but our body is also united with him. Our bodies are members of Christ himself. His point is that the Corinthians are, Corinthians are wrong in thinking that sexual union with a prostitute or any other kind of uh, immorality does not affect their relationship with Christ just because it's physical. When we are born again, we are united, all of our, all of our being, not just our spirit, but our body. Our physical body is united with him. Union with Christ involves our body. Do you understand this incredible mystery? It's really hard for me to grasp, right? Because we, once again, tend to focus so much on our spiritual life uh, that we kind of tend to leave our physical body behind, right? Focus on the spiritual life, right? But you see, our bodies are joined to Christ, raised from the dead. When we talk about union with Christ, we only think of our spiritual union, but it involves our body. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? And, uh, because our whole person, our spirit and body is united with Christ. And here, Paul reminds us that any sexual act 
establishes the union between the two people. It, when there's a sexual relationship that, uh, uh, that takes place, it binds the two people together, and a new human being may emerge from this union. The sexual relationships outside the marriage, marriage bond are a gross perversion of the divinely established marriage union. So I have a, I know it's kind of hard to tell, hard to see, but I have a packing tape here, right? And I have a paper. So what happens is when there is a sexual relationship that takes uh, between the two people, it's like a tape and the paper that come together, right? I know it's kind of hard to tell, but there, trust me on this. And like people here can vouch, right? So there is a union that takes place. And when this takes place outside of marriage, and they say, oh, there was a one-night stand, oops, or like in a you know, casual dating setting or what have you. And then you, okay, you walk, walk away from it, right? Because, okay, it was just one-night thing, no big deal. Nothing happened. But you see, I don't know if you can see, but there is a little part of the paper that got stuck because there was, there was a union that took place and you just walk away from it. Or oh, I'm not committed to you. We're just kind of seeing each other. And then you see part of this. And guess what's going to happen? And then if you go and you do this again, maybe with a different person. So once again, when you take, uh, commit, you know, when you uh, have sex with another person, right, there's once again another union that takes place and then you walk away from it. And you can, uh, it's, I know it's kind of hard to see, but there's more part of paper that you just ripped out from the tape. And you could only imagine, if I just keep doing this, that there are more and more of this paper, the part of the paper that's gonna be stuck here. And you see, by the time you get to, say, the person that you're going to marry, guess what's going to happen? You already have part of other people that you were uh, engaged in sexually, right? So even if you really want to, it will be awfully tough for you to give all of yourself. Of course you will. But you see, for this paper too, some of it is lost forever. Every time we engage in a sexual relationship, there is a bond that takes place. And it's not just physical. There is a spiritual union that takes place between the two parties involved. That's why every time we do this, it is a great perversion. That is not the way God has designed. When there is a sexual relationship, there is a bond that takes place. That's why we cannot take this lightly. Like it or not, there is a union, and you cannot simply undo you cannot simply walk away from the sexual union as if there were no consequences when this happens. Because you have become one with the person you had sexual relationship with, so that part of you will always remain with that person. You can't never fully get everything back. That's why Paul is saying, if you casually go around and sleep around, whether it be the prostitutes or other people, 
and say, ah, it's physical, no big deal, right? I'm okay. Not so. He's saying, because we are united with Christ, we are members, our bodies are members of Christ. So can you imagine when we just make a a union with the, the prostitute? He's saying, can you imagine, conceive of members of Christ being joined together with members of prostitute? That's what we are doing if we do so. And he says, unthinkable, never, he says. It's very emphatic, strong word, reaction that Paul is saying. Should I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Should I just bring them together and just unite them? Never. It cannot be. It should not be. There is a higher union than the marriage bond. And that is the believer's union, our union with Christ, which is the perfect model for the kind of unity that should mark the marriage bond, marriage relationship. So in light of our union with Christ, Paul is saying, through his resurrection, he says sexual immorality violates and defiles our union with him. See, whenever we kind of sleep around, it's not just you and her or the other person. Because you, you are because you are already united with Christ. You are uniting Christ, Christ's body with that person. It's really cringeworthy to take, uh, take away the limbs of Christ and unite them with that of a prostitute. That's why until we say I do and make a vow and make a covenant before God and to the person that God has brought into your life to be your spouse, you should not engage in sexual relationships. There's more than meets the eyes concerning sexual immorality. You see, it's not just simple uh, slipping around and having, in, uh, engaging in sinful behavior. So verse 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. How is it that he's sinning against his own body? It's my own body. It's mine. But you see, don't you know, if you are in Christ, you are already united with Christ. So when you do that, it's not just your body, but you are sinning against Christ because we are one. Not just our spirit, but our body. Our body is united with Christ. Our bodies are members of Christ now. It's a mystery that I don't, honestly, it's really hard for me to fathom. But now my body is part of Christ's body, not just simply spiritually. So that's the first point that that he brings out. The second point is that, that we are also the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are united with Christ, and we, uh, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, last week uh, I talked about uh, about the church, us, right, being incompatible with the world. Just like oil and, and, and water, we just don't, we are not compatible, right? On the outside, we may look the same, but inside, we are incompatible. In light of the fact that the prostitutes of Corinth were dedicated to the service of, uh, service of Aphrodite, the goddess of love and sex, Paul extends that thought here in verse 19, right? Don't you know, again, once again, don't you know, right? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? 
Because the body, our body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, to engage it in a sexual immorality disgraces God's temple. Now, usually in the, in the scriptures, when they talk about the temple of the Spirit, it usually refers to uh, the corporate identity of God's people, the church. This church is the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But here, Paul makes an exception that our individual body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is where the Holy Spirit resides and indwells. It's a really personal thing. And that's why sexual sin is not acceptable. This is a place where the Holy Spirit dwells and must be sacred and clean. It's his permanent residence. You know, when we have guests over, we clean our place, places like crazy to make it look presentable, right? We don't want, like, when people are coming over, right, you don't want the, all the dirty stuff, like dirty laundry and then stuff just hanging all over the place. We, we make it presentable for the, the guests who will be with us for the night, right? Then how much more shall we consecrate ourselves where the Holy Spirit indwells? Because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It means that we have to really take good care of our physical body. And I, I feel really guilty because, you know, I don't take good care of my body. I mean, these days, staying home all the time, you know, I eat, you know, so much like junk food. And so I, I was really convicted uh, by this, this passage as I was uh, preparing for it. We cannot really let our body go, right? We have to take good care of our own physical body. Paul says, our body does not belong to us. The second half of verse 19 says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We have a price tag attached to us. Every, every one of us. We don't see it physically, but we have a price tag. The price tag is the blood of Christ. His death and blood pay the, pray, uh, pay the price for our sins. And he says, now we are his, we belong to him. We belong to him. We don't say, it's my body, it's my life. I can do whatever I want with my, uh, with my life or my body. No, we belong to him. It is meant for his service. We can't say, my body. Glorify God in your body, Paul says. He didn't simply say, glorify God in your spirit, but it says, in your body. And this is done by relating to other people as prescribed in, in the scripture. You know, really consider the opposite gender people as your brother, and as your sister. Until you say, I do before the altar, you got to consider him or her as your own brother or sister, right? Can you imagine, think of like uh, committing incest? That's unthinkable, but that's how you are to really view each other until you say, I do. Because they are your brother and sister. Do not engage in sexual activity. Now, it would be amiss if I, um, and just, let me just conclude with this 
quick thought. Um, but what about those people who already fell? Um, for those of us who may have fallen, I don't want you to stay, feel condemned, guilty, and ashamed and leave, uh, stay there. Because this is where the gospel shines. Come to Jesus and repent. The gospel tells us that past sinful activity will not determine our ultimate destiny. We are not the sum of our mistakes. We are not the sum of our sins. We are not the sum of our wrongdoings. Christ has given us a new identity. We are his beloved, united with him. Just like Jesus saying to the woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus is telling you and me, live your life of sin. Do not engage in it. If you have been, stop, because your body belongs and is a member of Christ's body. Do not put yourself in a compromising situations, you know, like hanging out together with no one's around and you know the drill, all the temptations that are there in many different ways. There is grace that's available, but that does not mean that you take advantage of it. Make mockery of the grace that is offered to you, engaging in it. You must stop. And if you fail, repent. And don't just stay condemned as, oh, I'm ruined. My life is over. No, because Christ is there waiting for you to come. Come back to him. Repent and turn from your way of life. Walk away from it. Repent and receive his forgiveness restoration and walk with him and save yourself until the day you say I do with the person that God brings into your life and that is the hope that we have for those of us who have fallen turn to him and I really encourage us uh, all of us to find accountability partners a brother a few select brothers and sisters who will keep you accountable I say, hey, brother, how are you doing? Are you doing? What are you doing? I have a couple of friends uh, from my college days, and they are, uh, they are in ministry. And so, you know, um, every week we, you know, we can't meet. Now, we used to meet uh, in person, but now we just call each other, right? Um, and every week we, we talk and we share everything. And so even when it comes to sexual like, temptations and things, you know, and... Um, you know, just keeping other, each other accountable. And that helps me because there are times that when I'm tempted, uh, just the thought of like confessing it to, to them, it makes me, I, I can't do that, right? Um, so it, it, it does help. But in the end, in the end, it's really understanding that our body, our bodies are united, joined together with members of Christ. And our, we, our bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit. If you truly understand that, that we will be able to live a life that is pleasing to God. May that be our uh, approach um, before him. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord uh, at this time. And
Uh, think about this uh, passage. Um, let's uh, respond to the truth that we are united with him. And when we say, when I say we, I'm not just talking about our spirit, uh, but our bodies as well. Our whole person is united with Christ, not just our spirit. God has high regard and considers our body precious because God created, when God created us, it's not just our spirit that he created, but our bodies as well. And when God saved us, it's our whole being. And so it is only fitting for us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, pleasing, holy and pleasing to God. We are united. Our bodies are united with his body. Let us not dare defiling the body of Christ with our by giving into temptations, engaging in immoral behaviors. And if you have, turn to him, repent, and leave that pattern, that, that way of life, and pursue holiness and purity. So let's pray for that at this time. Heavenly Father, we turn to you at this time. I know it's, it's, it's an uncomfortable subject, for some people, but Lord, this is your truth that you are giving to us, and you remind us, Lord, that we are united with you, not just our spirit, but our bodies are one with Christ. What mystery! But it is true. Our bodies are one with you. Help us to truly understand what that really entails and it means in our daily lives when we face temptations at every turn. Help us to turn to you and seek purity and holiness knowing that we are united with you and also under understanding that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, our individual body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And how incompatible, how unthinkable it is for us to continue engaging in immoral uh, things. So Lord, convict our hearts that we may turn to you. And for those of us who have struggled and have fallen, Lord, also we pray for your ministry and your spirit that you will convict them, not to, uh, to the, uh, in the sense of condemnation and guilt and shame, but so that they will have a godly remorse and genuinely remorseful and really turn from their ways that you can bring, you can bring them back. You can bring all of us, make us whole again by your blood, your son's blood. So we turn to you that we may find freedom, liberation from those sins that have enslaved us, that we may just glorify you with our bodies. And God, we also pray for those of us 
who are followed. Pray as they are really discouraged that you will comfort them, strengthen them during this time. As difficult as it is, that they will be able to really turn to you all the more. And we pray for those of us who are grieving. Uh, we pray for Sean's family. We pray for Linda's family, for, uh, for the loss of their beloved family members. Comfort them in a way that only you can. May your peace be upon them. Encourage them, Lord. Let them know that you are there with them. And we thank you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.